Today, I'm going to talk about something that at first I didn't think was related to the pandemic, though now I think there is a connection. The topic is excessive medical testing and the false promise of a company called Theranos. You might or might not have followed the story of Theranos. It's a pretty interesting one. In a nutshell, the company promised to revolutionize medicine through blood testing. The company promised big innovations in blood testing technology, but those never worked. And the whole thing got lots of media attention because of the dramatic rise and fall of the charismatic CEO of the company, Elizabeth Holmes. Not too long ago, she was the world's youngest female self-made billionaire. Now she's on trial for fraud. So what's the connection to the pandemic? I think the connection is that Theranos reflects a bigger problem with U.S. healthcare. Our system is pretty clearly not equipped to actually do what it's supposed to do, which is treat sick people in a crisis. The system is geared to make money, and there's a lot more money to be made giving tests and treatments to relatively wealthy, healthy people than to heal the sick, given that many sick people are poor and underinsured. Theranos got so rich on speculation because its promises were just a magnified version of what was going on in our for-profit health system more generally. That's the topic of today's episode of Follow the Science, an exploration of science, medicine, and medical misinformation. I'm your host, Faye Flam. I'm a science journalist and a Bloomberg Opinion columnist, and this podcast is funded by a grant from the Society for Professional Journalists. My first guest is Daniel Holmes. His last name is just a coincidence. He's not related to the Theranos founder, Elizabeth Holmes, but he does have a lot of expertise in the Theranos claim to fame, which is medical testing. He's an associate professor of pathology at the University of British Columbia and head of clinical chemistry at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. He had a lot to say about Theranos. One of the big promises that the company made was that it would bring testing directly to consumers, cutting out the middleman. That sounds like a good thing, but Dr. Holmes was the middleman. He is the middleman, and he says that lab professionals like him are there to help protect patients from getting misleading or inaccurate test results. What Elizabeth Holmes was doing was cutting out the medical professional out of the middle of the diagnostic process. Right now, the diagnostic process is we have device company, they make devices. We have medical professional, medical technologists, scientists, and doctors in the middle. And when we have the client, if you like, the person who's being served by the results, we'll, talk, we'll say that's the physician just for argument, but in some sense, it's the patient too. But the person who's asking for the test is the doctor. And the, the, the laboratory professionals act as an arbiter of the quality and the efficacy and the utility of those diagnostic tests that the company is selling. Elizabeth Holmes was saying, let's just get rid of those people in the middle. They're kind of in the way. We'll cut them out. We'll speed things up. And we'll put the diagnostics company in direct contact with either the patient or the physician. And so the, the problem with that is that you, you run into this risk of snake oil salesmanship, right? Because you no longer have someone providing scientific and medical oversight for that, for that process. There's a lot of error and inaccuracy inherent in a lot of medical tests, and that doesn't mean that those tests aren't useful. It just means that doctors and patients need others, like lab professionals, to help interpret the results, to know when to act on the results, when to wait, and 
when to get another test. Patients do not understand that if you run the same sample over and over and over and over again on the same device, you're going to get different results and they'll converge on some average. But if you went to a different device, you're going to get different results and they'll converge on a different average with the same sample. And so statisticians have a sense of this, right? Chemists, analytical chemists have a sense of this. The patient has no sense of this at all. The average physician has no sense of this at all. So I, I did, you know, one of my friends who's a colleague in pharmaceutical sciences, and I wrote a paper that, believe it or not, to my delight, and I don't think I deserve this, but it, it ended up on the cover of the British Medical Journal, and it was called Your Results May Vary. So if you cut the physician right out of the whole process, you're making the assumption that the patient can decide on the right test, perform the right test, you know, interpret the right test. And, you know, in medicine, there's this adage, you know, the physician that treats himself has a fool for a patient. So okay. what do you call a patient who treats <laughs> Yes. Himself? There's an important distinction to be made here between using tests to diagnose sick people and using tests to screen healthy people. Even a fairly imperfect, imprecise test can be pretty helpful to give doctors clues that might lead them to try different treatments in the hope of making a sick patient feel better. There's a whole different level of risk that comes up when you start screening healthy people. At that point, the risk is that you'll find some false positives and some of those might lead people to get treatments that they don't need and they'll end up not being so healthy anymore. Theranos didn't really draw that distinction, but neither does the whole health system in general, and it probably should. But then there are people who say, well, let's now do that for thyroid hormone or testosterone or, or, or C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker. I mean, that's experimental use of the testing. And it's not clear that it's going to provide information that is anything more than a distraction to people. And that other, that's the other piece of direct patient testing is that you find stuff that you, you know, you weren't intending to find, and then you have to do the you have to do the $10,000 diagnostic workup to figure out what, you know, why we had this testing anomaly. And by the way, there are lots and lots of testing anomalies. There is a risk of over-testing can result in harm. It's not always just, you know, good old information. More information is better. In the years since Theranos started to really fall apart, which was around 2016, there's been a big surge in the use of something called liquid biopsies. Those are blood tests that can pick up either pieces of cancer cells or biological molecules that indicate the possibility of a cancer. But how good are these tests? They should be really good considering the harm that could come if people get a false positive and then get treated for a cancer that either doesn't exist or does exist, but was never gonna grow and metastasize or cause the person any kind of trouble. This, this gets to the controversy over liquid biopsies where people yeah. are concerned that healthy people who probably don't have cancer may be a little more likely to get a false positive than a real positive. I mean, that's true with mammograms and you know that there are many more false positives than real positives. Yeah. And, and then if any of those false positives start getting treated for cancer, then there's a lot of harm. Uh, that's right. And you know, you want, there are certainly patients who are driven and smart enough to figure out what their diagnostic test means. You don't, I don't want to come off as 
paternalistic and say, no, 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 I'm the only person who's allowed to interpret diagnostic testings. You stay over there. But many people are not. And it is, it is just a distraction to them and to the healthcare system. And it does them harm when they, I mean, I've had patients phone me and they've gotten a diagnostic test done for some reason. And they want me to walk through it with them and they're they're in a total tailspin because some result is out of its box. But, you know, the, the, the central 95% constitutes the normal range of a lab test. And if you do 20 lab tests just by random error alone, one of them's, you know, one of the more than one of them's going to be out of it outside of its normal range. So maybe testing shouldn't be the centerpiece of medical care. Maybe the centerpiece of medical care should be care. I mean, it is an important point. Like here we are like, okay, we want to live forever, you know, but I, I, I do look at that with a bit of a jaded eye when I know that there's not money to do kind of some rudimentary things in, in public sector healthcare in Canada that ought to be done before we start worrying about the, the cool and the innovative. And, and don't think for a moment that physicians aren't attracted. You know, a lot of the things in life that are right to do, that are good to do are actually very simple. They're, they're very simple interventions, like talking to your patient. How's your breathing today, Mrs. Jones, right? Let me listen with my stethoscope. Let me talk to you and get my assessment of how you're doing, right? Instead of ordering a bunch of diagnostic tests from behind a computer and not going and seeing that person. And so I actually personally think that we have all the tools we need and the rest of it is like we're trying to get that last percentile of diagnostic success, but it comes at tremendous price. And I don't think the expenditure on that price is worth that 1%, right? Oh, that's so interesting. So in other words, just the time spent with a physician, which as you probably know here in the US is a big problem that doctors are uh, have too many patients, that patients get very little actual time interacting with the doctor? Yeah. And coming from a diagnostician, that is me. I'm saying that good medicine is interacting with the patient, looking them in the eye, making sure they know you care for them. Because when you do that, not only are you, you know, you're, you're lifting them up in their spirit, right? The, that's untangible. That when you lift someone's spirit and you make them feel they're listened to and you care for them, that's an untangible thing. We can't measure the benefit but I can assure you there's benefit. I know there's benefit. Now that's a spiritual inclination, but I know there's a benefit. If we, if we take all that time away and we spend all our time, you know, kind of behind an electronic health record, just pushing electrons around circuits, that's, that's not medicine. We, we can't lose sight of the benefit that the patient is experiencing and having medical benefit when we interact with them. Interesting. Well, it also seems like there's this widespread belief that uh, it was part of the, the fascination with Theranos that there are all these little time bombs in our blood. And even if we feel fine, that oh, yeah. somewhere in that blood, there are all kinds that, of terrible uh, harbingers of doom. That, <laughs> and then well, if we you know what? That, them, was just, that was just her spin. That uh -huh. was, and you know, it's interesting. She often told a story about an, uh, I guess. An, uh, the uncle. In her heyday, Elizabeth Holmes did a lot of television appearances and public lectures. And she almost always told the story of an uncle who died from skin cancer and who she says she would have been able to save with her tests. But does it really make sense that a skin cancer wouldn't show up on the skin, but would show up on a blood test? 
And it wasn't really clear she'd developed the technology for early skin cancer detection or how it worked or whether this was just a dream she thought she could accomplish with enough money. But as you'll hear, the appeal was a lot more emotional than logical. I grew up spending summers and the holidays with my uncle. I remember his love of crossword puzzles and trying to teach us to play football. I remember how much he loved the beach. I remember how much I loved him. He was diagnosed one day with skin cancer, which all of a sudden was brain cancer. Now, it is true that at some point you have a tumor, and at some point that tumor starts to manufacture things that could be detected. But, you know, by the time you detect them, you can detect them in the peripheral blood or something like that. You know, you can detect them by other modalities too. You might be able to actually palpate them. And you might be, you might feel sick and you might feel sick much before you could detect, right? You know, it's kind of silly to think that, you know, if we just run around testing all kinds of stuff all the time, that we're going to be able to find, you know, disease. Occasionally you will find stuff, but those will be exceptional and be tremendous waste of money in between. So if you put on the public health hat and you say to yourself, okay, I've got so ever many dollars to treat so ever many conditions in this population of people, you really don't want to be doing that kind of thing. I wonder if the lack of skepticism that led to the dramatic rise of Theranos is also a broader problem across medicine. If Elizabeth Holmes is in business, she's sort of like what she is, right? And if she's if she's in religion, she's, you know, running a cult or, you know, there, these people exist everywhere. But the, the, it was really fascinating to me to watch how you can peddle something that is like fabulously untrue on precious, on zero evidence. But because you were telling pharmacists something they wanted to hear, hey, there's a new revenue stream for you. Doctors, something they wanted to hear, hey, you no longer need a local lab. You can have a lab right in your office. I think that the moral of the story for everybody that, that watches Theranos story or whatever is you know, be very careful about somebody telling you something you want to hear. For me, it's like medicine is about telling the truth when, you know, you want the right diagnosis and you want to tell the truth, even when it doesn't serve your purposes. If you screwed up, telling the truth is the number one best thing to do because it leads to the least patient harm. So I always say that when I have medical students come through or residents, I'd rather have a resident or medical student who's diligent and honest than one who is super smart. Now it's great to have a super smart resident, but diligence and honesty are so much more valuable in the medical professional than uh, you know outstanding ability. As long as you have you know enough ability, diligence and honesty is what really takes to home as a as a healthcare provider. That's what I wanted my doctor. While I was researching this episode, everyone kept telling me that I really needed to talk to Eleftherios Diamandis. He's a professor of pathology at the University of Toronto, and he's written dozens of papers on testing, including ones that distinguish the use of tests to diagnose the sick from the use of tests to screen the healthy. And he's also written a lot about Theranos, trying to tease out the difference between the lies that Elizabeth Holmes told and the ones that got her in so much trouble from the bigger fallacies that still affect medicine. We talk a lot about biomarkers. Biomarkers are just the substances in the blood that Theranos tests were supposed to pick up. 
either to signal the disease that was causing you distress or to predict the diseases that you'll get in the future. What I want to do is really look at the science behind medical testing and the science behind the promise of Theranos. I'm interested in what benefits to patients there would have been if they had been able to do what they promised, whether we, any of us would be healthier if there was this machine that could take a whole bunch of tests with a drop of blood. There are two separate items which you need to portray, I believe. One item is if we can technologically, if uh, with a drop of blood from a finger prick, we can measure disease-associated biomarkers because that was your premise, that with a drop of blood, I measure 10, 20, 30, 50 biomarkers, and then I find out if I am healthy or not healthy, and then I take action to identify the disease that I have, take care of the disease and get on with the happiness. That's the premise that she promised. And there are two things about it. One is the technological part. The question is, can we measure either to a tube of blood, a tro- uh, sorry, a, a drop of blood, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 biomarkers? And the answer is now, yes, we can. The technology has progressed to a point whereby with a drop of blood, we can measure 200 biomarkers. So that's the technological part. He says that while Theranos never delivered on the technological side of its promises, others in the meantime have realized that ability to test for thousands of things on a tiny drop of blood. One of those is a company called Olink. I, I mentioned a company to you, which you may want. I don't have any uh, conflict of interest or financial gain from that company, but we use it because it's really pioneering the testing. With a drop of blood, as we talk, this company, which is named, the name is Olink, O-L-I-N-K, Olink. They managed to measure 3,000 proteins in a drop of blood. So the technological question, if we can measure thousands of proteins in a small volume of blood has been answered, and the answer is yes. I, I want you to separate the technological achievement with the clinical achievement. The clinical achievement is, if I can measure 3,000 proteins in my blood, can I diagnose early all the maladies that may exist in my body and take appropriate action? It's a different question, you see. Oh, yes. And what is the answer to that second question? Because that's the important question, right? answer to that important question is that the situation is very complicated, as we have uh, outlined in our papers, and I will, I will explain to you why. There is no magic biomarker that can detect a disease by simply testing, with some exceptions. For example, as you know, the diabetics, they measure their glucose to adjust the dose of insulin. And this has been an outstanding success, and every diabetic that I know is using it. 
and the diabetic field has actually gone into another area and they don't even need to finger prick to get a drop of blood. They now do it non-invasively, as you probably know. Yes, so that's a very important, uh, important technology for people who already have diabetes. Yes. Now, apart from diabetes, I can select one or two more diseases like uh, myocardial infarction, for which we have an outstanding biomarker called troponin. And if somebody measures troponin and is elevated, by definition, they suffer the myocardial infarction. It's a very good marker. I can mention another two or three markers like creatinine. If the creatinine goes up, it means that your kidney is not working and so on. But this is a handful of examples whereby the testing by even by patients themselves is uh, it could be beneficial. For the vast majority of diseases, if you ask me, do you have a test for Alzheimer's? I would say I can measure a thousand proteins or 3,000 proteins for that matter in the blood of non-Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's people, early Alzheimer's, but none of the 3,000 proteins will tell me who has Alzheimer's and who has not. And this is really interesting that another company called Aravale later promised people better health through lots of data and unlike Theranos, this was an honest company. They delivered the data that were promised, but the company didn't survive. Arivel is a company that was created six years ago, and they said, we're going to get people to subscribe to us and come to us and ask, am I healthy? It was a wellness company. And Arivel used what Serrano said. They measure 200 proteins in your blood. They do your microbiome. They do your whole genome sequencing. And then they said, we see signs of disease. Arivel went on to find customers to do what Serrano wanted. And after four years, they went bankrupt because not many people were subscribing because they wanted $6,000 a year. And more importantly... With this strategy, they couldn't find any disease. They, they were suspicious of this and that. But uh, are you familiar with the concept of a test being true positive or false positive? Oh, yes, yes. And so for diseases, you're very unlikely to get. If you take a test, you may be more likely to get a false positive than a true positive. Yes, now you're talking because we now can bridge our discussion from the point of view, can I measure something? The answer is yes, you can measure thousands. Are these thousands of measurements useful? The answer is very few of them are useful and most of them are not because a lot of people who are tested will become so-called false positives. The test would say you may have a disease, but you actually don't. And these people suffer because if you say your test is telling me that you may have X, Y, Z, cancer or something, they're going to start running to their clinicians, do additional testing and additional testing and more expensive testing, only to find out that they were fast positives. The so-called testing, 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 it means over-testing, it means over-diagnosis, and then it means from there over-treatment. And I'm sure you know that we treat a lot more people than we should for diseases that we should not treat. 
So maybe Theranos was sort of a symptom of what's wrong with the old normal in medicine. That is, too little skepticism about technology, too much emphasis on what's profitable, over-treatment of healthy people, and too little emphasis on healing the sick. COVID-19 showed us what we need in a healthcare system, so let's make that part of the new normal. Thank you for listening to Follow the Science. Follow the Science is produced by Faye Flam with funding by the Society for Professional Journalists. Today's episode was edited by Seth Glicksman with music by Kyle Imperator. You can follow us on Facebook for the latest, but if you'd like to hear more Follow the Science, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Thank you.